we'll ask you the questions. And after the confession of faith of each of the students, then we'll, we'll sing together Psalter 204. These questions that we are about to ask, they already said yes to in the consistory room, but now they are saying it publicly before the congregation, before the Lord, with the help of God. And so I'll ask the questions and then go down the line and I have a text for each of you that I'll read uh, on each of your, your answers. The question number one, do you believe the truth of God, which is revealed in the Old and New Testaments, and confessed in the articles of the Christian faith, and taught here in this Christian church, to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation. Number two, do you promise by the grace of God steadfastly to continue in the confession of this truth of God, and to live and die therein? Number three, do you confess that you abhor and humble yourself before God because of your sins, and that you seek your life outside of yourself, in Jesus Christ, and do you desire to celebrate the Lord's Supper for the strengthening of your faith? Number four, do you confess that it is your heartfelt desire by the power of the Holy Spirit to love the Lord your God and to serve Him according to His word, to show yourself as a faithful member of the Church of Christ, to contribute to the upbuilding of His Church, to confess His name in the, in the world, and to submit yourself willingly to the pastoral supervision and the discipline of the church. Emma Gallagher, what is your answer? In Matthew 11, verses 29 to 30, our Lord Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesse Lynn Bravo, what is your answer? Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Grene Bravo, what is your answer? Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Madeline Brink, what is your answer? Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Sophie Alberta, what is your answer? Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, or blessed is the woman that trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want or lack any good thing. Stephanie Wissa, what is your answer? John 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says to his disciples, Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. 
He or she that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. James Hines, what is your answer? 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Sarah Vandenberg, what is your answer? John 16, verse 33, these are the words of Jesus again. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Julian Vandenberg, what is your answer? Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Psalter 204, sing all the verses.
In the New Testament, Christ instituted baptism to be the sign and seal of his covenant of grace by which we are joined to his church. Most of you have received that sign and seal as children because God includes the children of believers in his covenant, but Sophie hasn't. And so in obedience to God, upon your confession of faith, we will administer the sign and seal of holy baptism to Sophie. In light of that, we would like to read the form in the back of our Psalters that summarizes for us the Bible's teaching on baptism, both in general and as it applies especially to adults who were not baptized as children. So that's page 126 in the back of your Psalters. The principal parts of the doctrine of holy baptism are these three. First, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin, and therefore are children of wrath, insomuch that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God except we are born again. This, the dipping in or sprinkling with water, teaches us whereby the impurity of our souls is signified. and We admonish to loathe and humble ourselves before God and seek for our purification and salvation without or outside of ourselves. Secondly, holy baptism witnesses and seals unto us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For when we are baptized in the name of the Father, God the Father witnesses and seals unto us that he does make an eternal covenant of grace with us, and adopts us for his children and heirs, and therefore will provide us with every good thing and avert all evil or turn it to our profit. And when we are baptized in the name of the Son, the Son seals unto us that he does wash us in his blood from all our sins, incorporating us into the fellowship of his death and resurrection, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. In like manner, when we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit assures us by this holy sacrament that he will dwell in us, and sanctify us to be members of Christ, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, namely the washing away of our sins and the daily renewing of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without spot or wrinkle among the assembly of the elect in life eternal. Thirdly, whereas in all covenants there are contained two parts, therefore are we by God, through baptism, admonished of and obliged unto new obedience, Namely, that we cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we trust in Him and love Him with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, and with all our strength. That we forsake the world, crucify our old nature, and walk in a new and holy life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sin, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin since baptism is a seal and undoubted testimony that we have an eternal covenant of grace with God. And we'll turn to page 128, one page over. In the section there to adult persons, we'll begin the second paragraph under the italicized section. However, children of Christian parents, although they understand not this mystery must be baptized by virtue of the covenant, Yet it is not lawful to baptize those who are come to years of discretion, except they first be sensible of their sins and make confession both of their repentance and faith in Christ. For this cause did not only John the Baptist preach according to the command of God, 
the baptism of repentance, and baptized for the remission of sins, those who confessed their sins. But our Lord Jesus Christ also commanded his disciples to teach all nations, and then to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Adding this promise, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. According to which rule the apostles, as appears from Acts 2, 10 and 60, baptized none who were of years of discretion, but such as made confession of their faith and repentance. Therefore, it is, it is not lawful now to baptize any other adult person than such as have been taught the mysteries of holy baptism by the preaching of the gospel and are able to give an account of their faith by the confession of the mouth. And since, Sophie, we've heard your confession of repentance and faith a few moments ago when you answered yes to the questions before we proceed then to the baptism. That therefore this holy ordinance of God may be administered to his glory, to our comfort, and to the edification of his church. Let us call upon his holy name. Let us pray. O Almighty and Eternal God, Thou who hast, according to Thy severe judgment, punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, and hast, according to Thy great mercy, saved and protected believing Noah and his family, Thou who hast drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, and hast led Thy people Israel through the midst of the sea upon dry ground, by which baptism is signified, we beseech Thee that Thou be pleased of Thine infinite mercy, graciously to look upon Sophie and incorporate her by thy Holy Spirit into thy Son, Jesus Christ, that she may be buried with him into his death and be raised with him in newness of life, that she may daily follow him, joyfully bearing his cross, and cleave unto him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love, that she may with a comfortable sense of thy favor leave this life which is nothing but a continual death, and at the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, thy Son, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with thee and the Holy Ghost, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Before we proceed to the baptism, just a, a brief word. We're very thankful, Sophie, that you've been brought to this point, that the Lord has... It's really the work of the Lord, isn't it? For all of us who've made confession of faith. It's, it's, it's not something that we work up in ourselves. It's, it's, it's a gift of grace, of God's grace. And the amazing thing is, the Lord's not just content to, to do that, but, but He also, by your baptism now, is confirming to you that you belong to His covenant. He's, he's, really, he's putting His name on, on your forehead. And He's promising you that He will be your God for all of life. That's a great privilege. It's a great blessing. And your baptism, just, just like the baptism of all of us here, is not just a, a blessing, but it's also a, a calling too, a calling to a, a lifetime of repentance and faith in Christ. That's something we can't do in our own strength. But even in baptism, God is signifying, He's sealing to you His promise that He is there. He is there to be with you. He is there to help you. He is there to give you the strength you need. To live also for Him. And so may your baptism then be an encouragement, a comfort, a joy to you to look to Him all your life long for all the strength and all the grace you need. After the baptism, congregation will sing standing 425 verse 5. 
Sophie Hollerda, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. history in the congregation, I want to welcome you all as new confessing members of this congregation. We are grateful, so grateful to the Lord for this. You know, I remember being in class and we, we were talking about how, how making confession of faith is not about, it's, it's not about really about yourselves. It's not, you're not confessing anything great about yourselves. You're, you're really confessing your need of Jesus Christ. You're a sinner in need of, of Him, of His forgiveness of his cleansing and, and washing away of your sin. So you're confessing your need of him, you're confessing your faith in him, that you are looking to him for your salvation. And you, you may be here, and even while you're here, you may have all kinds of struggles. We all do. We all have struggles. But you're looking to Christ. That's what you're confessing. And you want to grow in him along with the whole congregation. And so... Our prayers, as my prayer as pastor, prayers, our prayer as consistory, as congregation, is that we can be a help to each other now in this way. In, in a way we, that's always been our, our responsibility, but now especially as confessing members, it, there's a, a deepening of this bond, a, a deepening of this relationship. And so my prayer is that we can be an encouragement, of mutual encouragement to each other. We've also given all the students a book Practical Religion by J.C. Ryle, as well as an additional book for the couples. We pray that the Lord would bless these books too for your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's now come before the Lord in prayer and also ask for his blessing on our service. Let's pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we thank and praise thee that thou hast forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of thy Son, Jesus Christ, 
and received us through thy Holy Spirit as members of thine only begotten Son, and adopted us to be thy children, and sealed and confirmed the same unto us by holy baptism. We beseech thee through the same Son of thy love, that thou wilt be pleased also to govern Sophie as well as all of those who have just publicly confessed their faith by thy Holy Spirit, that they may lead Christian and godly lives, and increase and grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may acknowledge thy fatherly goodness and mercy, which thou hast shown to them and to us, and live in all righteousness under our only teacher, King and High Priest, Jesus Christ, and that they may manfully fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion, to the end that they may eternally praise and magnify thee and thy Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one, only, true God. Lord, we give thanks this afternoon for this special service. We think of how this morning we, we read from Acts 2 and about the gift of your Holy Spirit coming and filling the disciples and empowering them to, to speak your word, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and how you bless that for the salvation of so many. And Lord, we can be here this afternoon. And we see that you are continuing that work even thousands of years later. We confess, O God, that salvation is all a gift of your grace. And we thank you for continuing to work the power of your spirit to bring people to who, are, who are dead in their sins and trespasses. That's all of us by nature. Yet you work by your Holy Spirit to make them alive and to give them an inheritance in heaven. Father, what a marvel this is. What a mercy. We thank you, O God, for the answering the prayers of parents, family, friends of these young people, answering the prayers of the congregation. Thank you for blessing the labors of parents, the labors of ministers also from the past that served here, and elders for blessing the labors of fellow Christians. Lord, what a gracious God you are. And we pray, Father, that as we give thanks, too, that you would also hear the prayers of those, those prayers that are maybe even going up at this moment for other family members, for children, maybe for parents, Maybe for friends, co-workers, neighbors. Lord, we pray that you would hear those prayers and grant that the gospel would be proclaimed far and wide. Also to those people for whom there are prayers being made. Maybe they have left the church, but Lord, we pray that your spirit would bring it what they have heard to, 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 to back to their memories. 
about the good news of Jesus Christ and our salvation in and through Him alone, that they would turn from their sins, they'd turn back to you and know that gift. Know the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ whom He has sent. For that is eternal life. Lord, we pray that for those for that you would answer the prayers then of those among us and also those here t- this afternoon who don't yet have a saving relationship with you, Lord. We ask that you would also even use this service to create a hunger and a thirsting for reconciliation with God. And, Lord, that people would be asking, what, what must we do to be saved? They may hear the blessed answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So we pray, Lord, that you bless the gospel also as it goes forth, not just here, but all over this world. Lord, glorify your word. Glorify your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That sinners would hear and confess that he is Lord to the honor and glory of your great name. We pray, O God, that you would especially remember us as a province as we have an election tomorrow. Lord, we pray that you would guide this election. We thank you so much that we have freedom to to vote. We have opportunity to speak and give our voice in the formation of a government. There are many places in this world that don't have that. We thank you that we do. We pray, O oh God, that you would, as we think about it, and as we may have many concerns about which way it will go, Lord, we pray that you would, in the midst of it all, remember us, remember your church, remember your people, and grant, O oh Lord, that those who are elected to government would be humble, would recognize that they are not there to serve themselves, to serve their own agendas, that they have been appointed there by you, and they are accountable to you. And so, Lord, that they would govern accordingly, that they would govern in righteousness and in justice. Lord, we pray that you would help us in all that happens also tomorrow in relation to the election, but in all of our lives, to remember that no matter what happens, you are on the throne, you are in control, and you are accomplishing all things according to the counsel of your will. And so help us to be able to rest in you, to trust in you, in all of our circumstances, whatever might happen also for this coming week. Lord, we pray for those who may be uh, facing tests or different uh, appointments or or different struggles that they know are coming. Lord, we pray that you would uphold them. You would strengthen them and grant them the, 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 the blessing of being able to look to you and, and experiencing your, your faithfulness, your strength, and your grace. We pray that you would also bless our denomination, Lord, and we pray for, especially for the St. Thomas Free Reformed Congregation and Pastor Mordike there, and we ask, O oh God, that you would Cause your kingdom to grow and increase also there through Pastor Mordek's teaching and his preaching. Lord, bless him and, and make him a blessing and his family as well. And bless the whole consistory as they guide 
Lord, we think of his labors here and we are, are so thankful for them. We pray that you would continue to bless him in the place that you have, you have called him to be in, in St. Thomas. Lord, we pray that you would also bless those who have in our congregation who are looking forward to having birthdays this, this coming week. Lord, we think of our brother Andrew Fader. Would you bless him? And also Sister Alice Coppert. Lord, they each would, as they grow older, would be able again to testify to your faithfulness and your goodness to them. That there is no unrighteousness with you. And so that they may be an encouragement also to us as a congregation. Bless them and, and make them a blessing there too, Lord. We ask that you also bless the consistory meeting that will happen this week as we also discuss the synod agenda for next week. Lord, give wisdom and guidance to us as a consistory. Help us to serve you and to serve your church faithfully. We need your spirit, O oh Lord. We pray that your spirit would be among us also this afternoon. That the preaching would go forth in power. And that the hearts, our hearts would be opened. That we would have ears to hear. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You now have opportunity to give of your gifts for the cause of the church and of his kingdom. And then we'll sing Psalter 1. Psalter 1.
Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ and dear new confessing members of this congregation, a few weeks ago I was visiting one of you and you were showing me around, the person was showing me around his yard and he was showing me some of his trees and one particular tree he told me was a fruit tree. I believe it was a, it was a pear tree if I remember right. They had planted it in the hopes that it would grow pears. But the disappointing thing is that, that this, this man told me was that at least so far, this tree has only grown one pear. And that pear apparently wasn't, it didn't taste good at all. That, that's not what they had hoped for. That's not what, what any of us hopes for if we, if we plant a fruit tree. Usually, when you plant a fruit tree, you, you hope for fruit. Not just one or, or two fruits, but you want, you want it to be full of fruit. You want the tree to be filled with fruit. Because after all, it's a, it's a fruit tree. That's be, being filled with fruit is, is, is the purpose. It's, it's the calling, as it were, of a fruit tree. But what's the calling of a Christian? A few moments ago, dear New Confessing members, we heard you publicly confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a big thing. That's a serious thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it's a big thing. You have just publicly identified yourself as a Christian. You have publicly identified yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ and a follower of Christ. And so have many of us. The question uh, you might have, the question really all of us should have in a sense is, is what next? What's my calling? What is the calling of a Christian? What is a Christian called to do? What, What kind of life is a Christian called to live? It's an important question. It's, it's a necessary question. Because you see, when you're a Christian, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You're not your own. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, because you belong to Him, you don't get to decide how to live. He does. So what is our calling as Christians? What does He call us to do? How does He want us to live? What does he want us to be? Well, we look at our text, Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11. We learn that God wants us, he wants you and me, to be filled with fruit. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippian Christians. And congregation, his prayer here is is very instructive, just like all, all of his prayers. Because Paul wrote these prayers that he wrote in the various letters, he wrote them under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit. So these prayers really teach us how to pray and what things to pray for. You know, so often we're, we're praying for things like rain and for safety, for food. And of course, it's, it's not wrong to pray for those things, but it's, it's, it's very instructive, isn't it, to notice that when Paul says what he prays for, he, he doesn't pray for those things. He doesn't pray for material blessings. At least that's not, that's not his focus. He prays for spiritual blessings. And we see that in our text. Listen to what he says in Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere And without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits 
of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippian Christians. And you know it's good to take a prayer like this, to take also this one here in our text, and, and, and to pray them yourself, thoughtfully, word for word, both for yourself and for other people too. His prayer here is a, is a, is a prayer inspired by the Spirit, and so it's a good example for us of how to pray. But it also shows us, and this is what I want to focus on this afternoon, it also shows us what our calling is as Christians. We are called to be filled with fruit, with, with, not with literal fruit, physical fruit, but with spiritual fruit. You know, it's so easy to forget that. It's easy to lose that focus in our lives as Christians. It's easy to become distracted. It's easy to, to, to think that, well, we can just sort of coast in the, in the Christian life. We've done catechism, we've done confession, and, and now we can relax. But no, we can't. I can't. You can't. We have a calling. We have a calling. Not only you who have just made confession of faith, but all confessing Christians here this afternoon, we have a calling. We are like fruit trees. The Bible actually often compares Christians, compares God's people to to fruit trees. We just sang it from, from Psalter 1. That man is nourished like a tree, set by the river's side. Its leaf is green, its fruit is sure. And thus his works abide. Just like fruit trees, we have a calling then to be filled with fruit. But now what does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? And how do we do that? Well, that's what we want to consider this afternoon as we look at our text. Philippians 1, verses 9 to 11, with the help of God. Under the theme, Paul's prayer for fruit-filled Christians. We'll see the fruits to seek, the fountain to drink from, and the focus to have. So what are the fruits? What are the fruits that we who are Christians should seek to be filled with? Well, Paul summarizes it in the first part of verse 11. He prays that the Philippian Christians would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. In other words, the kind of fruit that he wants them to be filled with is is the kind of fruit they're called to be filled with is is righteous fruit. It's, It's good fruit. It's the fruit of holiness and of, and of godliness, the fruit of good works, the fruit of obedience to God's commandments, those commandments which are holy and just and good. That's the kind of fruit that Christians are to seek. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul unpacks a little. He, he as it were, he, he takes us to the tree and he, says, and he shows us a couple of the fruits that he, he's praying they, they will be filled with. In the first place, Christians, as Christians, we should seek to be filled with love. With love. That's what Paul prays in verse verse 9. He prays that the love of the Philippian Christians may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Love. That's really what righteousness is, isn't it? It's love. Paul says in Romans 13, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It's the greatest virtue. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 13? And now abides faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love for God above all. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love for your neighbor 
as yourself. That's the chief fruit to seek, love. But, but what does that mean? What, what is this love that we and you and I should, should pray for and seek? You know, today we, we need to ask this question because today love is nothing more, so often in our culture, it's nothing more than a sort of warm, fuzzy feeling. But, but is that what Paul's praying for? No, that's not what Paul's praying for. When Paul prays for their love to abound, he's talking about fervent, self-denying, self-sacrificing devotion and commitment. You see, this word love, it's it's the same word that is used uh, for God's love, for God's love towards sinners. It's a word used for the love that he showed when, when he sent his son, his only begotten son, to die in our place on the cross in the place of sinners. And so this love that he's talking about is is not this warm, fuzzy feeling. It's costly love. That's the kind of love Paul's praying for in the Philippians. That's the fruit we are to seek, the fruit of costly, self-sacrificing love for God and for our neighbors. That's the fruit that we are to seek to be filled with. Don't we need, don't we need this challenge, dear congregation? You see, none of us, none of us have perfect love for God and our neighbor. In fact, in and of ourselves, we really have no love, no real, true love for for God or for others. But if we are Christians, looking to Christ, God has given us a new nature. Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. But we're not yet perfect. We're a new creation but as Christians, but we're not yet perfect. Our love is, is not yet perfect. We still have selfishness. We still have self-centeredness in us. We still have pride. We, we, our, our self-giving love for God and for others, it needs to grow. It needs to abound. It needs to increase more and more. And that, that's what Paul's praying for in the Philippian Christians. He's praying that they don't just coast along where they're at, but that they press on, that they press forward in love, that their love might abound more and more. That's their calling as Christians. And that's our calling too, toward God and also toward each other. And that means, congregation, that our calling as Christians is more than just warming a pew on Sunday. It means also encouraging each other, encouraging your, your, your fellow Christians, especially your, your fellow church members in godliness, not, not just with your words, but, but in the way you live. It, it, it means standing firm and, and warning each other against sin in, in gentleness and in love and, and, and humility. Remembering that him, that warning of Paul that, who said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest, this, lest he fall. It means being a good and a godly example to others. It means holding each other accountable. It means being a listening ear to those in need. It, this isn't just the calling of the pastor or the consistory or the people around you. If you are a Christian, it's your calling. It's my calling. We're called to be filled with self-sacrificing, self Denying love. That's one of the fruits we should seek. But it's especially to be a love that grows, that abounds more and more in knowledge and all judgment, or you could say all discernment. It's a better translation there. That's really the focus of Paul's prayer. But what does that mean? Well, it means that the love we should seek 
to be filled with is not a shallow love. It's, it's not a, a sort of a giddy love, but it's a, a deep love, a love that's growing deeper, deeper, deeper in the knowledge, especially the knowledge of God. That's what this word knowledge most often refers to in the New Testament. It refers to the true knowledge of God. Where do we get that knowledge from, congregation? The Word of God. It's from the Word of God. From the Bible. But, it, but, it, but it's not just a knowledge about God either. It's, it's not just knowing facts about Him from the Bible. It's a knowledge of God. You say, what's the difference? Well, I think children, some of you here like hockey. Maybe you like trading hockey cards or, or taking books out that, that speak about that are about famous hockey players. And, and so you, you might know some things as you look at your hockey cards or you, you, you read your, that book. You, you might learn some things. You might know some things about a particular hockey player, maybe even a lot of things, but you don't really know that hockey player, do you? You don't, you don't know them like you know your, 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 your parents, your, your family, your friends, and you don't know them like their family knows that, that player. That's the difference. The kind of knowledge Paul's praying that the love of the Philippian Christians would grow in and abound more and more, it's like the knowledge that you have of your parents or of your family, of your friends. It's, it's, it's like the knowledge of the, the, the family, the friends of the hockey player that they have of the, that, that player. It's the kind of knowledge that doesn't just know some things about God, but that knows God himself. A knowledge that just doesn't, know, doesn't just know about, about his goodness, for example, but a knowledge, a knowledge that comes from having experienced, having, having tasted and seen his goodness for yourself. But again, the knowledge doesn't come from just sort of out there randomly. It comes from being in His Word, from reading and hearing and studying the Bible and having the Spirit applying it to us. And that means, beloved, that our calling as Christians is to be people of this book. Maybe you say, what, what, is this, what does this knowledge have to do with love? Everything. Everything. You see, real love Self-denying, self-sacrificing love is only possible when you know God. And the more you know Him, the more you, be, you become acquainted with Him and all the things, all the spiritual blessings that He gives you in Jesus Christ, the more your love for Him, the more you see His love for you, the more your love for him and for others will grow. So the fruit we should seek is love, a love that is growing more and more in knowledge, the knowledge especially of God. But, it, but it's also a love that, it, that increases, it abounds in, in discernment, judgment or discernment. What, what, what's that mean? Well, when you have discernment, you can tell the difference between things. Some people, we, you know, we just... Recently got chickens in our backyard and we have a little chicken coop. And up to that point, we've been eating eggs from the store. And I can tell the difference now between the taste of an egg that the chicken in our backyard has laid 
and the egg that's in the store. I can discern the difference. I have discernment in, in that area. And so in the same way, our love, our love for God and for others should be a love that is growing more and more in all spiritual discernment, in an ability to taste the difference between truth and lies, between right and wrong, between good and bad, and even good and better. So what Paul's saying is the fruit of love that we need to seek is a love that's increasing still more and more in the knowledge, especially of God, and in a thorough understanding of His will. And again, what does that come down to? What does that mean we need to be? We need to be people of the book. People who read and and listen to and, and meditate on and submit to and seek to apply God's word in our lives. We're to be hearers and doers, not of our own opinions, not of our own thoughts, but of his word and not just of the parts of it that we like, but of the whole thing. Well, what does that mean? means that finishing confession classes and making confession of faith isn't time to relax. It's not time to go into cruise mode. You are called to grow. You have identified yourself with Christ. And now you are called to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. And this, this is the first fruit, the chief fruit, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. When that is happening, then you will also be filled with the fruit of sincere holiness. We see that in verse 10. You see, the reason that Paul prays that the love of the Philippians would abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment is this. That, or in order that, they may approve things that are excellent, so that they might be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. What's Paul saying here? He's saying that when your love is growing in knowledge and and discernment, then that will lead to the fruit of sincere holiness. You'll approve the things that are excellent. What are those things? They're the best things. Having a love that increasingly abounds in knowledge of God and in all discernment, it will teach you what to do in different circumstances. It will teach you to know the things that God approves. It will teach you too, not, not just to know those things, not just to know the right thing to do, but, but to do it. It'll teach you to make the right choices. And that, in turn, will result in a holy life, a life of being sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. You won't be living, in other words, you won't be living hypocritically, just be pretending to be a Christian, just bearing the name Christian, but not, but not living a Christian life. But you'll be really living then in devotion to Christ in your whole life, in your private life, and in your, in your public life. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're going to be perfect or, or sinless. But it means that when you sin, you don't cover it up or, 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 or hide it or excuse it. But you honestly grieve over your sin and you, you humbly confess it and you turn from it. You hate it. You fight it. You go to Christ for his forgiveness and his mercy and you, you receive his grace and, you, and his mercy. And his help against it. You live, and you live then in, in careful obedience, without offense, seeking to live with a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men, not, not stumbling into sin or, 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 or becoming a means of making others stumble into sin. But you live, seek to live then by grace, without offense, a life of sincere holiness. 
And you live that way consistently till the day of Christ. You, you, you see the, the logic here. He starts with love. A love that's growing in knowledge and in all judgment. And he says that will, in turn, will, will produce a, 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 a making right choices. A, and a holy life and a sincere holy life. These are the fruits that Paul's praying that the Philippians would be filled with. That's their calling. And that's your and my calling too. Is this convicting for anyone here? Maybe you're here this evening and you're a confessing Christian. You once made confession of faith maybe a long time ago or, or maybe more recently. How are you doing in light of this calling that Paul prays for? Has your love been growing in knowledge and in all discernment? Have you been studying God's Word? Have you been hungering to know God and to know His will? Have you been making right, godly, good choices? Or, or have you been making poor choices? Choices that you know are wrong. You've made confession of faith, but can people see? Can people see that you are a Christian? That you're a follower of Jesus Christ? That you're a child of God from the way you live and the way you talk? Maybe this is a little convicting. I think it's probably a little convicting for all of us. Maybe you're, you're here this, this afternoon and you haven't been living this way at all. You haven't been seeking this fruit and you're thinking, what now? How do I change? How can I be filled with these fruits, these fruits of righteousness, the fruit of self-sacrificing love for God and for others that abounds more and more in knowledge and all discernment, the, the fruit of sincere holiness, how do I get there? How, how can I be filled with these fruits? That's a good question. It's really, it's really an important question for all of us. Also for you who just made confession of faith. How do you get these fruits that you are called to seek and to be filled with? And that question brings us to our second point. I've spent most of our time on the first point. And the second and third point will be briefer. The second point is this. The fountain to drink from. And children, what does a what does a fruit tree need to be filled with fruit? What does a fruit tree need to be filled with fruit? It needs water, doesn't it? You see, it's the same way when you're a Christian. To be filled with the fruits of righteousness, you need, I need spiritual water. We need a fountain to drink from. But, okay, well, what or Perhaps a better question is, who? Who is that fountain? Our text tells us in verse 11, the fruits of righteousness that we are to be filled with are the fruits of righteousness which are by or through Jesus Christ. He's the fountain. He's the fountain we must drink from. Do, do, do you see what Paul's saying by that? He's saying that you cannot produce these fruits by, your, by yourself, on your own. You're not going to be filled with these fruits of righteousness just by wishing it or, or just by your own efforts. Left to ourselves, in fact, apart from Christ, we can't produce even a single fruit. We're like a barren tree. There's only one way to be a fruit-filled Christian. 
And that is by depending on Jesus Christ. It's like that text in John 15 that I gave one of you earlier. The Lord Jesus there is speaking to his disciples in the upper room and, and just before his betrayal and arrest. And, and he compares himself, he says, to a vine and his disciples to branches. And he says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying for us to bear fruit, we need to depend on Jesus Christ. We need to draw from him. We need to abide in him. He is the vine. He is the fountain we must drink from. Something like the crops. We grow here in southern Alberta. Without water, without the irrigation system that brings the water to these fields, we could not grow much. It's too dry. I understand from some of you that there's been some trouble this year with one of the, one of the irrigation canals leaking. And that's been a bit of a concern. Because the, the amount of yield you get depends on the amount of water. You have to get enough water for your crops to grow well. If you don't get enough water, you don't get as much yield. Your yield depends on getting enough water. And it's exactly the same way for us as Christians. Just like the fields need water to produce a good yield, we need Christ to be fruit-filled Christians. He is the fountain. And this is a wonderful thing. The Bible tells us He is the fountain of living water. What we need to do is to do what he calls us to do. We need to come to him and to drink. And that means we need to have a relationship with him. A relationship of active faith in him, active dependence on him, active trust in him. Active following after him, pursuing Christ. It's the way to begin the Christian life. And maybe you are here, someone is here this afternoon, and you've never begun the Christian life, and you wonder, how can I ever begin? How can I? Maybe you go to church and you have all these outward things that look like fruits, but they're not fruits. They're leaves, or they're just fake fruits. You want to bear real fruit. You want to bear real fruit to the praise and honor and glory of God. You need to go to Jesus Christ. It's a way to begin the Christian life. But it's not just the way to begin the Christian life. It's the way to live the Christian life. You know, we tend to forget that. We can easily tend to think that we need Jesus to save us, to forgive us our sins, to declare us righteous before God, but then living and growing in the Christian life, that's, well, that's our problem. That's our, our battle. It depends on us, on our efforts, on our strength, on our doing our best, on our working our hardest, on our doing this, on our doing that, on our rules. We can sometimes think like that or at least act like that. And then we wonder, don't we, why are we so spiritually dry? Why are we so spiritually barren? Why, am I, why is there so little fruit? Do you see, the problem is we're not going about it the right way. A Christian never graduates from dependence on Jesus Christ, ever. The fruits of righteousness, the fruits that we are called to seek come through Jesus Christ. And that's why, that's why Paul says later in this chapter, For to me, to live is Christ. I need him. I need him. I need him. 
The point is, congregation, the way for us to bear fruit, the way for us to bear any fruit of all, at all, and the way to, for us to be filled with fruit, to bear much fruit, is to be drinking from Christ. He is the fountain. He is the source of our life. He is, and the wonderful thing is, he never runs dry. Because in Christ, there is a fountain. And a fountain never runs dry. It keeps coming. It keeps coming. He is a fountain of grace. He is a fountain of strength. He is a fountain of help. It's a wonderful thing about Jesus Christ. He is a fountain, too, for all who come to him. Also for those who are here this evening and have never, ever come to him. Or perhaps you have been wandering from him. You know what Jesus said once when he was on earth? He said, if any man thirsts, if any man thirsts, I'm going to say that one more time, if any man thirsts or woman thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. If any man, congregation, I don't know all of you, I don't know who you are, I don't know where you're at. But if you have not come to Christ, you need to know you are not too great a sinner to come to him because where sin abounds, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Where sin abounds, grace, grace superabounds because it's his grace. It's the grace of God, a God who is infinite and who has a storehouse, a treasury of grace and of mercy for sinners. Are you thirsty? Have these fruits, the fruits of righteousness, been lacking in your life? Don't remain like that. But don't try to fix it on your own either. To be truly filled with the fruits of righteousness, you need to come to Jesus as barren and as dry as you are. You need to seek him. You need to drink from him. You need to depend on him. You need to follow him and abide in him. And he will cause you to bear much fruit. That's his own promise. That's his own promise. It's really a promise that is couched right here in our text. The fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ. That means if you come to him, his promises, his promises, he will fill you. He will fill you with the fruits of righteousness. You come to him by seeking him in his word, by looking to him in faith, not just for forgiveness, but for fruit. By doing as Paul does also here in our text, by praying, by praying, Lord, make me a fruit-filled Christian. By your Son, through your Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Maybe you say, well, what's the point of it all? What's the point? What's the, what's the goal? And that brings us very briefly to our last thought. We've considered the fruits to seek, the fountains to drink from. And now lastly, let's consider the focus to have. The end of verse 11 po- tells us the point, really, of being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. It's this, the end of verse 11, the glory and praise of God. That's Paul's focus. That's what he's praying for ultimately. He's praying that the Philippian Christians might be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. 
In other words, the point of being filled with fruit is not to make ourselves look great. It's not to build our reputation. It's, not, it's, it's to make God look great. It's to build His reputation. Of course, He is great. He is glorious. He is praiseworthy in and of Himself. But when we are filled with the fruits of righteousness, and as we begin to be filled, we may have a, such a small start today, but the more we depend on Him, and the more we are filled with His fruits, and we, the more we see His glory, and we, we display His glory to those around us. Ephesians chapter 2 says that those who are in Christ are, are, those who are saved by Christ are his workmanship, his masterpieces as it were. And the more we are filled with fruit, the more we, we show others the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus calls us to let our light so shine, to let it shine brightly, set on a hill, don't, don't hide it under a bushel, no, but, but let it shine clearly and brightly before men that they may see our good works and glorify who? Not us. That they may glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's the point. That's the focus we should have. That's what drove Paul's prayer for the Philippian Christians. A focus on the glory and praise of God. And that's a focus we should have too. After all, if you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? It's not because of anything in you. It's all because of God's amazing, glorious grace to you, a hell-deserving sinner. When you confess faith in Christ, you're not confessing how great you are. You're not confessing how good you are. You're confessing how great and good God is. It only makes sense then. It only makes sense that you want to keep bringing that glory and that praise to God by being a fruit-filled Christian. That's your calling. It's my calling. So let's live, all of us, and also you, dear new confessing members, having that focus, aiming for the glory and praise of God because He is so worthy. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this afternoon after having heard your word, having had it explained to some degree to us. And Lord, what a calling, what a calling we have to be filled with fruit. We confess that of ourselves, we are barren, we are dry, we are dead. And we need Christ. We need Jesus. Lord, we pray. We pray then that you would help us to look to Jesus every day of our lives, to not depend on ourselves, not look to ourselves, to look to Jesus, that we might, by your grace and mercy, see, see you at work in our lives, filling us with fruit, fruits of righteousness, the glory and the praise of God. 
And so, Lord, as we conclude this service, we pray this for ourselves. We pray also for these dear young people too, that their love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that they may approve things that are excellent, that they may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, that they may be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We ask this, O Lord, not because we are worthy, but because Christ is. And we pray in his name. Amen.